0: So who, who wins, who, who wins in the outcome of things? Who, who another way to put it, who, who is in charge ultimately of the things that matter the most to you, who ultimately is, I realize I'm preaching to the choir here. i got, got, a, got an answer. But you know, we, we have this week, uh, two days from now, <clears throat> our president and the leader of North Korea meeting for the first time in the history of the conflict, those two at that level face to face. It's a historic event, regardless of how you feel about either of those leaders. It is nonetheless an amazing event, if indeed it takes place, and I believe that it's a call for the church to pray. God, give our president what he needs. Shut his mouth, open his mouth, give him the ability to see and to hear what he needs to see and hear and respond in that way, and in the same way, do that with with uh, Premier Ung or whoever whatever is you know how you pronounce all of that I get the syllables mixed up but the leader of North Korea who who has had an, an amazingly difficult track record of government and being kind to his people and so forth only oh this is something The devil's already made a mess out of the whole situation. This is an opportunity for the Lord to show himself strong and to do something. And as we, as the Lord's people are able to pray, God, bring your kingdom. That's how we're instructed to pray by Jesus himself. Come thy kingdom, be done thy will on this earth as it is being done in heaven. I believe the Lord invites us to be a part of making history when as we hear about events that are going on in our lives that involve nations and people and situations that may have nothing directly to do with us, but when we begin to pray, when we ask the Lord to to have his will done, to glorify your name, open the door for the kingdom to come to North Korea so the gospel witnesses and preachers and churches can be formed in that that, uh, nation. We, we We are participating in history when we pray and that's his invitation I believe to us today. So I want to encourage you as you as you listen in the coming days to what's going on and um, over in in that part of our world but also the things that you hear about here to just pray. Lord, have your way done here. What, What you want, that's what we pray for and I believe you'll you find yourself being more encouraged about what's happening around us than just wanting to give up and quit and go, you know, start a colony on Mars. The, the earth is so fouled up, let's just go somewhere else. No, I, he's, he's put us here for a reason. He's put us here to pray. He's put us here to believe that uh, Jesus still is the way and the truth and the life. Amen. Amen. Back to the original question, though. Who, who's, who is in charge of the things that matter to you? Is it just up to chance? Will evil and what's hard and hurtful and sad always define your life? Or is there some bigger picture, something that is the opposite of what you may be going through right now? that is designed and being implemented in ways you can't see or feel or understand or even imagine by your heavenly Father who can only do good because he is only good and deeply, personally, warmly, and powerfully loves you as his child. What if the truth is that the pain and the sorrow and the confusion that you may be going through right now is just a temporary situation? It's the darkest part of the night, just before the breaking of a spectacular brand new day. You're going to bed in a swamp, but going to wake up on a mountaintop now. What if it's not chance? that's going to win, or evil, or Satan's schemes to hurt you, but what if it is a design more wonderful than anything you could ever imagine, and good like nothing you've ever known, and the one who is because it's not Satan, but it is coming from God who is himself kind, and generous and he hates evil and suffering and lack and he is the one who is ultimately in charge and he is the one who ultimately wins if we let that drop 18 inches from the head where we hear into the heart where we feel it it can be some strength to our inner man it can be some strength and steadiness to our outlook on life and I want to I just feel like it's important for us, for whatever reason, at this point in our lives, but also at this point, looking out across the landscape of our of our world, we, we have Iran hating the United States, hating Israel, wanting to see both entities destroyed. They would feel like that it was they'd accomplished their God's mission if Israel was in ruins and, and the United States of America was, was in shambles and, and then all of the threats in the eastern part of the Far East that, that are being dealt with this week. Who, who, who wins? Who, well, we can say God wins, you know, I mean, and that's what we as a Christian, as a student of the Scripture, ought to have confidence in our heart. But on the basis of what do we say that? On the basis of what do we say that? How do we know? How can we say that we believe the goodness of God will win? The love of God will win. The kindness of God will win. The justice of God will win. The life of God will win. On the basis of what can we say that? Well, I'm so glad you brought that up this morning because I want to try to Answer that to some degree and help us in I want you to open your Bible to the to two places all at the same time. You ready? Genesis chapter 1 and the Gospel of John chapter 1. Genesis 1 and John 1. I want to show you something very interesting about those two starting points. Genesis 1.1 one, one begins with these three words, in the beginning. John chapter 1, verse 1, begins exactly the same way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into be well from the christian standpoint we understand that that four letter word for word w r d is a synonym for jesus christ but but here's here's the meaning of the word word it it Means it means a broad statement, a full statement, but it also means reason reason the why a word is spoken, the purpose for which a word would be spoken. A little bit later in John chapter one, it will say that Jesus the Son was the one who explained God, that he exegeted God, the invisible God. Jesus fully explained the invisible God. He gives an understanding to those who would read his word, an understanding as to why God is doing the things that he's doing. What are the parts of his outlook that are significant to him? What does he notice? What does he not notice? What is he able to do? What does he not want to do? Those those things given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. But way before that, way before Bethlehem, way before the three wise men, way before the shepherds, Jesus was alive, well, and operative. You take the name God in Genesis 1 and with full license have permission to insert the name Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then Jesus said, let there be light. Check me, check me on that. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. Where the scripture speaks on a subject find the other places where the Scripture also speaks on that subject and put them together for a full understanding of what is intended. We are to understand from the New Testament standpoint, as we pick up the writings and the understandings of John and Peter and Paul, that how they interpreted the Old Testament is how we are to see the Old Testament in the light of Jesus is coming. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there wasn't a thing on this earth that came into being that didn't come into being by means of Jesus, the Word. Now, you talk about just causing Genesis to just come to life and to blow up, and you, for you to realize that the one who lives inside your chest is the one who stepped out into nothing and said, let there be light, and the lights came on. The one who looked into a chaotic mass of premortal material, nothing but chaos, nothing but a mess, nothing but junk or trash, whatever it was, and out of that he created an order with a design with a purpose, with multiplication and beauty like the universe had never known. That was Jesus. And if Jesus can do that with confused matter, if Jesus can do that with nothing, he can do that with you <laughs> and with me. I tell you, it just makes you want to shout, just, just, just dance all over the place. Wait a minute. Do you mean to tell me that the God of Genesis 1 is the same with the Christ who lives inside me. Why could Paul not say, I can do anything I need to do because of the one who is giving me strength? You hold on to that. Let that drop. Let that hit your heart. In the beginning, God created. You go through that whole list, all of these days, six days of the created order, distinct and specific design, one building upon what has just been created in order for fish to swim, they're going to have water to swim in. There's going to have to be, a, be, be the sun and the moon for the tides to function for the seas around the world, for crops to do what they need to do. The sun needs it. All of that fashioned by reason, by order, all of it created, created. Created. Nothing has come into being that has come into being apart from Jesus. I want to suggest to you this morning that one of the reasons that we understand, based upon these truths, that God wins is because the scripture tells us He wins because of His divine right of creation. There is nothing on the face of the earth that he does not own. There is no rock. There is no land. There is no person, no person, no personality, including Satan himself, who did not get his, her, or its origin from God himself, Jesus Christ in particular. I love the further elaboration upon that truth in the the Old Testament. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's. The Earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Zechariah 12:1 thus declares the Lord who stretches out the heavens and lays the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man in him job 38:4 the lord speaking where were you when i laid the foundation of the earth oh where were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone Isaiah 48, 13. Surely my hand founded the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. And when I call to them, they stand together. I'll show sure you one other verse out of your passage, out of your New Testament, helping us to interpret. This God of all creation. The book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, or excuse me, Colossians chapter 1. You're right, it is 1. I had my page turned wrongly. Colossians 1, verse 15. Paul writes, he's speaking of Jesus. Folks, listen, I'll say it again. You won't get in trouble for talking about God. In most places, with a lot of folks and a lot of organizations, you can say God all you want to. But here's where you get in trouble. When you mention the one name that is the most profane, the most vile, the most dangerous name on the face of the earth in the mind of some, and it is the name Jesus. Open your mouth and speak his name, and darkness will roar back at you. It won't be an angel, but the demons in the house, the devils in the house, behind their makeup, behind their Ph.D. degrees, behind their board chairmanships, will roar back at you. There's only one source from which a hatred or a suspicion of Jesus can come, and it is from hell itself. Make no mistake about it. And I realize there have been things done in the name of Jesus that have had nothing to do with the heart of Jesus. We we understand that. We have to accept, it. we have to realize that's some of what can be coming back. Oh, you call yourself a Christian. I call myself a Christian, but I'm not worthy many times of that name, amen? amen. But what I'm saying, don't, don't confuse me with Jesus. There's only one of him, there's a bunch of us, and we don't match up far too many times. But he is the best news that the world has ever gotten. He is the most complete expression of love that a man will ever know or a woman will ever know. And He is, Paul says in Colossians 1.15, He is the image. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. And listen to it. Here it says it again. This is John. We heard John, now Peter or Paul. For by Him... All things were created, both in the heavens and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That has to do with not only on the earthly levels of things, visible levels of things, but in the supernatural realm, in the invisible realm, speaking of satanic hierarchies of fallen angels. He has even created them. Prior to the time that they chose to walk away from God and to forsake the plan that God had for them. But he even created them. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him, by Jesus, and for him, and for Jesus. You get that? Get those two prepositions? Created by him, for him not by him, to be absent from him, to have no connection with him, but the heart of his desire to create you and me and all humans, all all of his creations, is that not only would he have the joy of creating us by his power, but he intends to, to, to enjoy a relationship with us. He desires a relationship with us. But when the kindness of God our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. He saved us, yeah. not according to the works which we've tried to do in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Because he loved us, and even when we were unlovely, and we were pulling away from him, and we were running from him, he was still loving us, and his heart was still kind toward us. You've got you to take all that is known of Jesus, that we gain from the New Testament scriptures. And you pack that up and take it back into the Old Testament. And then you unpack it again every time you hear Jehovah, Elohim, Adonai. Put Jesus in those places. So, well, it's hard to understand in that season of law, those that dispensation of law you can find a whole lot of the kindness of Jesus in some of those places, some of those times. but all throughout it, all throughout it was the kind heart of God, the loving heart of God. You, you, you get into this you read on through, get through Genesis chapter two and and then you, you find that man has been created and woman has been created, and, and they, were, they were given the assignment to tend a garden called the Garden of Eden. The amazing thing about that is that they weren't going to be hooking up a mule to a plow, that they weren't going to be, you know, running, running fence posts, driving T posts in the heat. They were tending a garden that was being grown by God himself. It was happening as a result of the fruitful ability of the Lord to cause things to flourish. He he just wanted Adam and Eve there to be a part of the creation, a part of the operation but not to have to do what they would do as would later come to be the case by the sweat of their brow. And Eve's suffering, like only a woman can know the suffering of childbirth. How how did we get there? How how did that all happen? I want you to find your way to chapter 3 and verse, we'll start... um, well, let, let me start reading with you in about early on in chapter 3. This is just in verse 1. Start there with me. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, the serpent, said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Now, you know know the problem with the devil? One of the problems with the devil is he can tell you the truth and at the same time not tell you the whole truth. It, It was God's plan for Adam and Eve to not have to ever know evil. And if they did what he told them not to do, and they violated his instruction, his command to them, at that point, they understand, they would come to understand what being an evil doer was all about. So the devil, the serpent, told her the truth. He doesn't want you to become like him. True. God has the ability to handle both good and evil without evil polluting the good. He's able to separate the two. He's able to distinguish between the two. But as humans, once we know evil, it can be hard for us to stay away from evil. It can attach itself to our soul and he can cause us to peep, keep going in that direction, lying to us, deceiving us. And only later do we learn that the way of the transgressor is hard. That the wages of sin is death. Something is going to die. You want to know what's amazing? God's intended heart from this passage was such that you and I would never have to know evil or the consequences of evil, but that we would only know good, we would only know life, we would only know joy, we would only know his provision instead of having to eke out an existence on our own, which came as a result of Adam and Eve's fall. We were not guilty of that same specific sin, but we inherited a nature from them. That's been spoken of loudly and clearly in the book of Romans that we we inherited from Adam and Eve a tendency to go away from God, to listen to the lies of the enemy. He he, He would be cursed by the Lord, the serpent would be by saying that and I'm putting enmity, and we'll read that in verse 15. So let me just stop there. We'll come back to it in just, in, just a, in just a second. Let's pick back up in verse 4. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall surely not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate it. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened in a way that they had never had their eyes opened before because now they're understanding something called evil, and they knew that they were naked. Never had known that before. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves lawn covers. That's what sin will do. Sin brings shame. Sin brings something to us that we then begin to have a sense we've got to hide. We've got to hide it. We've got to hide from other people. There's something sin equates to shame. started here. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, which was evidently his normal time of meeting with them. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to the man, said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid Because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he, Jesus, God, said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? words, in God's understanding, we run from him when we've got sin going on in our lives. We, we, we We don't want to be in the light anymore, because it exposes the things that we're more comfortable with hiding in the darkness, being away from the sense of God's presence. It was, an automatic, it was an automatic with the Lord here. The reason you're hiding from me is because you've done something that I've told you not to do. Now, you know, I, I just, I don't want to, You don't want to be ugly and anybody stomping by toes. But, you know, if if you're just just running from God today, maybe it's not at all. Maybe it's not at all that God's quit loving you or that God's given up on his purpose for you. Maybe it's because there's something that you've chosen to do that in your heart, your sense does not please him. But you did it anyway, and so you're guilty in that sense. But to the child of God, oh, this verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That there are more angels in heaven rejoicing over one sinner who comes back than a hundred righteous people don't need any repentance the joy in heaven when somebody comes back to the family oh listen it's all the way it's all the way back here in the first book of the bible the lord's loving these two he knows what's come between them and he'll address it but he doesn't want the fellowship to be lost The man said, the woman, look at verse 6, here we go, man. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. It's her fault. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, speaking of the serpent, Satan cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field? Oh, no, wait a minute. We got back up. Wait, wait. This I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, is the devil more powerful than God? Is, is, is the devil, is, is devil going to live longer than God? Is what's true of the devil going to last longer than what's true of God? When we start talking like that and wondering about that, we forget who came first. Who created who? Who, who gave the other one the ability to be? The Creator now has the ability to curse the creation by right of creation. Hold on to that. By right of creation. By right of creation. Cursor, you are more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. And on your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And then this verse I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he, her seed shall bruise or crush your head and you shall bruise him on the heel. You will continually be biting at the heel of humanity, trying to seduce them, lie to them, pull them away, take them into disobedience, take them into transgression, pull them away into rebellion and sin. That will be what you do from now on. You started with Eve in the garden. Now for the rest of your existence, you will be cursed to come in low, cursed to come in, hit low, to drag people into sin, to tempt them, to pull them away. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. Well, that may be saying that if if, if Eve hadn't taken a bite of that apple, She might have been able to bear children and it would have been no big deal. She wouldn't have had the pain of childbirth. But because of that, what she did, her pain in childbirth, and that passed on to all women after her. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. In other words, if you're going to eat, you're going to have to toil, working hard to ground. Both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. That must have been talking about Webb County in South Texas. Do you reckon in particular? Cactus and skeet thorns. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Now watch this. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was mother of all the children. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Up to this point, there had never been a record of an animal being killed. There had never been blood spilled up to this point. It's a foreshadowing of what the Jesus who is talking to them in the garden was going to do one day with his own body on a tree, on the cross, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of sins. He, he he, he, He fashioned garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Verse 24. So he drove the man out and at the east of the Garden of Eden he, he, he stationed the cherubim with the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. By right of creation, by right of creation, by right of creation, he had the right to do with what he created in the way that seemed best and right for the creator to do years pass. Don't know how many years pass. Find Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Genesis 6 verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Coming out of the garden, Adam and Eve became bearers of children and those children had children, and there was a multiplying that was going on the face of the earth rapidly and pervasively. But all along that time, the serpent was doing what he had been cursed to only do, and that is to continue to seduce and to tempt and to lie about God to people, so much so Verse 5, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, continually evil, all the thoughts of his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created. That's important, why Why would he do that? It's because he had a higher purpose for his creation. He wanted his creation to be in relationship with him. Not that they would all be robots, they would have no free will or no choice, but he wanted relationship with them. He wanted them to be living in such a way That it would be befitting of the privilege that they have been given for free. They're breathing free air. They're living in a free body. They're eating food that he has made provision for them to have. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land. From man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky. For I'm sorry I have made them. Then look at this next verse. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a a righteous man, blameless in his time. Blameless in his time. Can I say that one more time? Blameless in his time. When the whole rest of the world was living like hell and deserving of hell. Noah was not being pulled in the direction of the world. Noah was connected this way. And guess what? God, the creator, noticed it. There's one of my creations that hasn't gone the rest of the way of the rest of the world. I noticed that one. I noticed these, but I noticed these two for distinctly different purposes. One for destruction, one for preservation. Folks, listen to this. The whole world around you, your whole family may be going berserk. You may be working at some place where it just seems like everybody's chasing everybody else's wife and the morals of tomcats, and lying and stealing and whatever, and, and that's just the way it's going. You say, well, I can't make any difference. I mean, I'm just here. I just work here. Oh, yes, you can make a difference. Oh, yes, you can stand out in the way that's the most important. Because everything that you see going around you, get this, folks. The creator has a right to deal with his creations. Whether the creations cry, this is a democracy. It's not a democracy when it comes to God. There's only one of him. It's a total theocracy when it comes to him. You say, well, I don't like that. Get over it, sister or brother. When you die, when you leave this life and you stand before the Lord, it won't be your homeroom teacher. It won't be your grandmother. It won't be some people who really loved you and liked you. It will be the God of all creation who created you and will be wanting to evaluate you and me on the basis of, have we lived in the way that his creation was intended for us to live? Did we live that way? Because it, I got to end with this. I want to come next week, it's the part two. So if, you, if this hadn't made you enough mad, come come back next week. And I hope it had not made my. mad but this is by the right of creation God has the right to do what he does with this world. He created it. He owns it. Every human being, every person, every square of land, every building, every high rise, he owns it. The foundations of the Lord are his. And when he gets ready to say, I've had enough, My creation is going in a direction that I never intended for it to go. And I don't want this to be a self perpetuating ruin. He has the right, as he did in Noah's day, to send a flood. It wasn't the devil who sent the flood, it wasn't chance that sent the flood, it was the creator who sent the flood and every living creature except for Noah and his family and those two by twos in that boat all died, all died. The, the, the heavy point of that is And we dare not test God on this, folks. We dare not test him. The creator has the right to start over. Whatever that looks like. This has gone far enough. This has gone far enough. This has gone far enough. Okay. But I got to... You know, coming out of that, when 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 the waters receded, Noah and his family got out and the Lord made a covenant with Noah and the earth that I'll never again flood the world like that. Destruction will not come on the face of the earth like that again. And you'll know it every time. You'll know I've pledged it every time you see that rainbow in a cloud. I was just so glad yesterday to finally see a cloud in the sky above San Antonio. It had been days we hadn't seen a cloud. I was just thrilled. I thought, oh, man, wonderful. Thank you, Lord. I'm looking for a rainbow now. He said, that's the proof that I'll never destroy the world like that again. Desiring that the world would catch on. You can't press the Creator. Exodus 34, Israel has come into being centuries later now. The people of God, they've been in bondage. Moses leads them out. But listen to this statement. Moses is on his way up to get the second set of tablets of the Ten Commandments. And the Lord descended on the clouds. stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord and then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed here's what the Lord said about himself this is the way the Lord introduced himself spoke of himself to Moses these words the Lord the Lord God compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, for thousands of generations, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin. And yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations doesn't take rocket scientists to see that in family lines. What has destroyed a father, somehow or another, the son of that father, well, daddy did it, and so he does it. She does, and it keeps on passing down to the third and fourth generations. But prior to that, to that, the Lord says, that there's compassion in my heart. I don't want it to go that way. I don't want it to end up that way. I'm gracious, slow to anger. It, may, it, it takes a lot to get me mad. I, I, don't, I didn't come into this world mad at the human race. I, I'm slow to anger, bounding in loving kindness and truth, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. But God saw something in, that gener- in Noah's generation. He saw something in the heart of humanity, in the heart of his creation, and he knew vividly clearly it won't help to give them one more day. It won't turn things around. They won't turn back to me no matter what else is done. Now you, that's an extreme. That That hasn't happened again. But by divine right of the creator, he had the right to deal with his creations. Let me show you another, another passage and we'll, two more I want to show you. Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he's near. And then there's this word, let the wicked, let the wicked forsake his way. Don't keep pushing the creator. Don't keep daring the creator. Don't keep testing him. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. And he, the Lord, will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For he will abundantly pardon. And then this one. Jeremiah 18, I want you to find this one in your copy of scripture and mark it some way or another. It's one of the most powerful statements in all of the scripture of the heart of the creator for his own, but then his ability to do, to do whatever has to be done to correct the outcome. Jeremiah 18, verse 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I shall announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. In other words, the first lump of clay was not going in the direction that the potter wanted the lump of clay to turn into. So the potter just simply changed the design. He didn't throw away the clay, didn't get another lump of clay. He remade it into another vessel. Oh, do you hear it, folks? He remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. How many of us in this house this morning were on our way down a path? We're a lump of clay, sucking air by the grace of God, but we're still a lump of clay. And we were heading in our own direction, made up our own mind, living for ourselves. And then the Lord got hold of my life. And he didn't throw me away. I wasn't discarded. He just took me in his hands and he started fashioning me, fashioning you into a different kind of vessel. As it says here, as it pleased the potter to make. Verse 5, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you? as this potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. But if that nation which I have spoken turns from its evil... I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. Or at another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plant it. But if it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good with which I had promised to bless it. So now then speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, "'Thus says the Lord, "'Behold, I am fashioning calamity against you "'and devising a plan against you. "'Oh, turn back, each of you, from his evil way, "'and reform your ways and your deeds.' "'But they will say, "'It's hopeless, "'for we're going to follow our own plans,' And if each of us will act according to the stubbornness of our own heart. And the discipline came upon the nation. Though the heart of God was not for destruction. It was for restoration. There's a man listening to me this morning. And this word from the heart of God is meant for your heart, my friend. It doesn't matter the circumstances that you find yourself in. You just choose right now to turn back to the Lord. Turn back to Him. And trust what, that what you'll find Him doing is not destroying you, is not killing you, but receiving you. And restoring. You. There may be some things lost because of sin choices that may never, in a complete sense, be restored in this life, but that doesn't mean that your great big God who loves you and knows you is not able to more than compensate for what has been lost to a life of sin. I, I just got to read this one more time. I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled. This, was, this would want a clump of clay that the potter had picked out. He wanted to use it. But some way or another, the clay was not working. It wasn't going the way of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. If any man be in Christ, he or she, any person be in Christ, he is a new creation. (laughs) The old things have passed away, hallelujah, and new things have come. Who's going to win? The Creator is going to win. Who's going to win? The Creator is going to win. So whatever you're going through right now, find your place of prayer. Find your place to be. And you hold on as tight as you can to your Creator. Because wherever he is, is solid ground. Wherever he is, is the direction you want to be. You with him, you win too. We may not see all of that in this life. Some folks are on the other side, having died in faith, but trusting, trusting. And oh my goodness, on the other side, when they're past this bale of tears, they're on the other side of the river. And they're in that place called the Father's house. They see all things clearly, and they're understanding, I didn't lose one thing. Look at where I am. Look at where I am. So whenever you see Genesis 1 and God in Genesis 1, who are you going to insert in the place of or as a, an equal to in Genesis 1? Jesus. And the creator wins. And the creator has the right to deal with his creations whether the creations like it, agree with it, or not. Okay. I'm just I feel like we just needed some stuff that just would settle in down deep down here. Okay. I can stand on this. The world may be going crazy. Choices around us may be going nuts and away from God. But who was here first? Who created who? Who's in charge of what ultimately? The Creator wins. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Pray that in the name of Jesus, you will cause us to remember this morning what we need to hear. And we'll carry out from this place living words, your living words of truth. and that It'll be just to help to be discernment for us. We, we can judge better things going on around us, things we're hearing or seeing. Lord, I pray you just put the mantle of Noah on each one of us, the anointing of Noah on each one of us. That we will be found faithful to you regardless of who isn't faithful around us. And how many of them aren't but that you would find in us a heart that is loyal to you, that loves you, that wants to please you, that is grateful, humbly grateful for all that you have blessed us with. In Jesus' name.